It's great to be looking with you at God's Word together again this morning, uh, or something like that. That was a slightly garbled sentence. But just in case we haven't met before, I'm Lachlan. I look after the uh, 9am congregation here at Camaray. And this morning we're in the second of a two-week series looking at forgiveness and thinking about forgiveness. Last week, uh, Ed really helpfully uh, took us through Psalm 103 to help us think about the forgiveness that God offers us. And this week we're considering a parable of Jesus Uh, that he tells one of his followers about the necessity of forgiving others. Uh, Because as we travel through life, uh, people will hurt us, uh, sometimes quite badly. Uh, So it's really an important question to consider. How will you respond uh, when someone hurts you, when someone incurs uh, a debt towards you? Uh, This morning we are considering the forgiveness that Jesus calls his followers to, Um, But before we really get into that, uh, we should acknowledge one of the appealing options that is available. Revenge. Uh, Now, you know, it's entertaining, it's cathartic, and helps make sure that justice is done. What's not to love about revenge? I mean, some of the best stories are about revenge. There's the classic tale of the Count of Monte Cristo, where Dante, a merchant sailor, he's on the eve of his wedding, where he's falsely and knowingly accused of treason. He's arrested without trial. He's thrown into a grim island fortress prison to waste away. But 15 years later, he escapes and he uses his freedom as well as some newly discovered wealth to tear down the lives of the men who put him there. Uh, It's a great story of people who did great wrong getting their comeuppance. Of course, you know, the word revenge can have negative connotations, but the idea is perhaps a little bit more pervasive than you would otherwise think. You know, you'd have to be living under a rock not to have heard of the Avengers uh, and the Avengers movies. They're repeatedly smashing box office records, often records set by the previous Avengers movie. But the line in the first Avengers movie that really shows the root of the name Avengers uh, Uh, Tony Stark, the head of the the team, he says, if we can't protect the earth, you can be sure that we will avenge it. And it's a good line. It conveys the message, you might hurt us, you might cause pain and suffering, but we will make you regret it. You know, vengeance has this sense of making sure justice is done. It's easy to see the appeal of vengeance stories. It's cathartic. It's cathartic to see someone who's done something wrong get what's coming to them. We want to see justice done. It's probably not surprising then that there's also a bit of an industry around revenge. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but going back to 2015, uh, there was an enterprising young Australian by the name of Matthew Carter who started a website where people could order glitter bombs to be sent to their enemies. The idea is quite simple. If someone has wronged you and you wanted to exact some measure of vengeance, you pay the Glitter Bomb website to send a package full of glitter which will explode when they open it, hopefully creating an embarrassing, glittery mess. And the website, when he opened, got swamped with requests. So many so, he actually had to shut down the website to work through the backlog. And in the end, he sold the website for $85,000. It's not too bad for a simple idea and a fairly cheap-looking website, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, There's coin in the revenge industry. The point is, if someone has wronged you, uh, revenge is appealing. 
We like to feel the scales of justice have been restored. There's a sense of security as well that comes from knowing other people will say, oh, don't mess with that guy. So why would we even bother thinking about forgiveness? I mean, it's hard. You see that at the start of the passage that we're looking at today, Peter knows that he's meant to forgive, but surely there's a limit. It's hard. And it's not only hard, it's costly. We actually see that throughout the passage with the parallel being made to debt. It's hard, it's costly. Why think about forgiveness? Well, it's important for us to think hard about forgiveness because of how pervasive Jesus wants forgiveness to be among his people. Not seven times, but 77 times, he says. He's saying there is no limit to how often you must forgive someone. He tells his followers, forgiveness is to be pervasive among you. If we want to follow Jesus, we are to be people who forgive. It's not just pervasive, it's essential to being one of God's people. Do you see that line at the very end of the parable? This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's one of those bits of the Bible that can really stop you in your tracks. But it is clear. Forgiveness is essential if you are one of God's people. Before we go any further, there's just a couple of things worth doing. First, we should acknowledge that forgiveness really is, it's an emotionally loaded topic. In a 25-ish minute talk, we're really only going to be able to scratch the surface. But... Uh, so there's a lot more that we could talk about, and I'll, I'll address a little bit of that at the end. But also, as we think about forgiveness, I want to be absolutely clear. Forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive situation. I will talk about some common misconceptions about forgiveness towards the end of the talk, but living, leaving an abusive situation is not, I repeat, is not disobeying Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Forgiveness can be hard and it can be costly, but forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive situation. If you do want to talk further about issues that come up today, uh, either with myself or one of the other staff, uh, please do contact us. Uh, if you don't have one of our contact numbers or email addresses, please jump on the website. You can go to the I'm New page and fill out uh, your details there and one of us will get in contact with you during the week. Uh, jump onto ncachurch.com and the I'm New page. Uh, but before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and for your teaching on forgiveness here. Uh, even though forgiveness is hard, help us to listen to what you have to say to us this morning, uh, that we might be people uh, who forgive uh, as you forgave us. Amen. We're going to look at the passage today in three parts. We're going to look at the context, we're going to focus in on the parable that Jesus tells, and then we'll be thinking a little bit about forgiveness today. So let's get stuck in. Uh, first, the context. We see that forgiveness is part of the humility and love that shapes the lives of Jesus' followers. And in Matthew's biography of Jesus, uh, one of the ways that he's arranged material includes several blocks of Jesus' teaching. And here in chapter 18, Jesus is particularly talking to his disciples about how they're to relate to each other. Now, the foundation of that is they're not part of God's kingdom because they've done anything amazing. 
They're part of God's kingdom because God has graciously called them and welcomed them. So they should relate to each other with humility. They're not part of God's kingdom because they're great. At the same time, every other follower of Jesus has been called and welcomed by God as well. So they are incredibly precious to him. So they should be relating to each other with love because they know that the other disciples are also incredibly precious to God. They have been welcomed by God. They haven't done anything to deserve it, so they should be humble. And God has lovingly welcomed others as well. So they're to relate to each other with humility and love. That's the key context for today's passage, that people who are part of Jesus' kingdom, who are his followers, are to relate to each other with humility and love. But because we live in a sinful world and Jesus knows his followers will still wrong each other, uh, he also then gives a a quick start guide on how to manage conflict with other followers of Jesus. And the aim is restoration to the relationship and forgiveness is a part of that. And so Jesus' parable on forgiveness comes here uh, as part of Peter's question flowing out uh, of that teaching block. Jesus' followers are to relate to each other with humility and love, and part of that involves forgiving each other when wrong is done. So that's the context. Let's zoom in on the passage to today. Well, the idea that forgiveness is important is hardly unique to Jesus. Even our broader culture knows that forgiveness is important. We teach our children the importance of forgiveness. Even Sesame Street has segments on the importance of forgiveness. At the same time, I think the world around us, our culture, places some hard limits on forgiveness. I was chatting with a friend of mine about forgiveness and how important it is and how you go about it. And as we were talking, it became clear that, well, while he thought forgiveness was important there were very much limits that it needed to be placed on it. And, and in the end, there was some kind of a tension between the value of the relationship and the wrong that was done that you needed to weigh up to decide whether forgiveness was worth pursuing or not. So he could say that forgiveness is important, but it's very limited and contained, whereas Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is different. Jesus tells his followers there not to place a limit on forgiveness. If someone is genuinely sorry... You must forgive them. And the more you think about it, the more that you consider the hurtful things that people knowingly do to each other, the more outlandish and impossible Jesus' command can seem. On what basis can you forgive some of the terrible things that people have done? Well, Jesus explores the idea with a parable. It's a pretty straightforward story, but it's worth drawing out a couple of key details as we go along. We're going to consider it in three scenes. And in scene one, verse 23 to 27, we meet a king and a servant. And the servant is in massive debt, crushing debt. The original language says he owed 10,000 talents. Now, the Jewish ancient historian Josephus, uh, he reported that the taxes raised from the whole Roman province of Palestine amounted to about 8,000 talents. This servant's debt is better compared with countries than it is with people. Or if you wanted to stick with people, it's the equivalent of about 200,000 years worth of wages, assuming that the debt is not accumulating interest. This is a massive amount of debt. And it's, it's comically tragic 
when, the, when the, he comes to the king and begs him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. 200,000 years worth of wages, it's never going to happen. He's never going to be able to pay that debt back. But the king shows incredible mercy. He takes pity on the servant and forgives the servant his debt. In scene one of the story, Jesus gives this image of what life looks like as one of God's people. See, the Bible talks about sin in lots of different ways, but here the image used is one of debt, debt before God. Jesus has been clear previously, everyone is a sinner. Each of us, because of our sin, owes a debt to God, and it's a debt we could never pay ourselves. But if we turn to God for mercy, God will show us mercy. He will wipe the debt clean. It's a picture of what life is like for a follower of Jesus. And it's a picture that was unpacked really helpfully for us last week as Ed helped take us through Psalm 103. Followers of Jesus are people who have been forgiven the crushing debt they owe against God that they could never have paid themselves. This first part of the parable shows us the overwhelming generosity of God towards sinners like us. But that's just scene one. The story continues in scene two, verses 28 to 30. The servant, the one who was forgiven so much, was also owed a debt. Now, it wasn't an insubstantial debt. A hundred denarii, the uh, price given there in the original language, it's a few months worth of wages, probably about a quarterly uh, income. That's not insubstantial. A legitimate debt has been incurred. But it's much more on a scale that we can understand. It's also much more on a scale that we're likely to be able to, uh, he's actually likely to be able to pay back. But it does highlight one of the things that makes forgiveness hard. You know, if someone has wronged, well, they have incurred a debt. I am owed something if I have been wronged. And if I don't make sure that the scales are returned to balance, well, what guarantee is there that I will get what's rightfully mine? You can understand why the first servant would be angry. He wants justice. He wants what he's deserved. Forgiveness is hard because people can and do incur genuine debts against us. Well, the first servant doesn't mess around. He grabs his fellow servant, chokes him, demands he pay the money back, and the second servant begs him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But the first servant wouldn't listen to him. He had the man thrown in prison until the debt could be repaid. He wanted to make sure justice was done because that's the way things were done in the ancient world. If someone owed you a debt to stop them from running out and reneging on the debt, the debtor was thrown in prison until their family or friends could pay off the debt to make sure that, uh, that payment was made. And it could almost be a story of writing the scales of justice. You know, as the first servant sought out what he was owed, except, of course, we've seen the background of the first scene. And this is the exact same problem, just on a smaller scale. A debt has been incurred, payment is due. Even the words of the second servant, be patient with me and I will pay it back, they are exactly what the first servant had begged of the king. The first servant had begged for mercy, begged. And he had been given mercy. He'd been given what he did not deserve. He was shown unmerited kindness and his debt was forgiven but he was unwilling to do likewise. 
See, when you understand the magnitude of the debt that the first servant had been forgiven, you start to see the problem. He was forgiven a debt that would have taken lifetimes to repay, yet he was unwilling to wait on a debt that could have been repaid in a few months. And in the final scene there, in verse 31 to 34, we see the king's response, and he underlines the heart of the problem. Then the master called the servant in, verse 32. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. There is a justice problem. And the problem is the first servant was unwilling to show mercy when the only reason he was even able to talk to his fellow servant and claim back what he was owed was because he had been shown mercy. The first servant's actions, they show he only cared about himself. And the king's assessment was that he was wicked. He had asked for mercy. He should have shown mercy. So the lesson for Jesus' followers is pretty confronting. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. If we have asked for mercy, we must be willing to show mercy when it's asked for. We often think here of God's forgiveness as unconditional. And in a sense, that is true. God's forgiveness is is completely undeserved. You can't earn it. There's no precondition for coming to God and asking for forgiveness. But turning back to God and accepting his mercy must impact the way we live. Otherwise, it shows we haven't really turned to God, that we actually remain opposed to him and his ways. Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that others will hurt us. And forgiveness is hard because when they do, We want justice. We want wrongs to be righted. We want the debt that is owed to us to be repaid. But as difficult as that can be, Jesus' story reminds us of the framework that his followers are to operate in. We've been forgiven a debt we could never hope to repay, and we are called to do likewise. It's impossible to come away from this parable that Jesus tells and think that forgiveness is limited or optional for Jesus' followers. Now, unpacking all the complexities of forgiveness uh, goes beyond the point of the story that Jesus is telling in this passage, but it's important for us to consider forgiveness today before we finish up. So in our final point, uh, thinking about forgiveness today, because there is actually a a difference between forgiveness in the Bible and the kind of uh, forgiveness in the Bible that Jesus is talking about and the way that our culture often understands forgiveness. So let me ask you a question just to think about for a moment. How would you know if you've forgiven someone? Just have a think. How would you know if you've forgiven someone? If your answer is hovering around the idea of no longer feeling resentment or anger towards someone, uh, something that's really focused on an internal uh, disposition change, well, it might be that your understanding of forgiveness is more influenced by our contemporary culture than it has been by the Bible. See, in the Bible, forgiveness is a commitment, a commitment to graciously pardon someone who has wronged you, 
a commitment to not hold their wrong against them. How do you know if you've forgiven someone? Well, you've committed to not hold their wrong against them. Now, you might say, well, hang on, Lachlan, I don't know if you were listening to Jesus, but he's pretty clear at the end there, forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I mean, that sounds like emotion language, doesn't it? But we need to remember that while our culture thinks of the heart as the center of emotion, in the Bible, the heart is the center of the whole person and particularly the will. And again, notice in the story some of the components needed for forgiveness. The wrongdoer acknowledged that they had done wrong. They turned from their wrongdoing and the wronged party pardoned them or needed to pardon them. There's a decision that is made about what will shape the relationship moving forward. On the other hand, it's, it's not that emotion is completely separate to forgiving someone. You know, if we continue to struggle with recurrent feelings of bitterness and anger towards someone that we've decided to forgive, it It's worth spending some time and energy working through those feelings and how they shape the relationship that you have with that person. It's not that emotion plays no part in living out forgiveness in our relationships with each other. But Jesus' warning here of the consequences of not forgiving, well, we need to remember that forgiveness there is slightly different to the way our culture often thinks about forgiveness. It's a distinction worth teasing out so that we both get forgiveness right in our relationships with each other, but also so that we don't despair and question our salvation when we still feel hurt or anger towards someone that we have decided to forgive. It's also a little outside the scope of the passage, but it's also worth noting that in the Bible, forgiveness doesn't mean all consequences are eliminated. Some wrongs and hurts will continue to shape relationships even after the wrongdoer has been forgiven. In the Bible, forgiveness is a commitment to graciously pardon someone who has wronged you. How do you know if you've forgiven someone? Or have you committed to graciously pardoning them from their wrongdoing? But even having teased that out a little bit more, forgiveness is still hard. At the start of the passage, we heard of that. How many times should I forgive? Forgiveness is hard. But as we've unpacked the story uh, that Jesus tells, we have been reminded of the foundation that we can turn to when we find forgiveness hard. Jesus calls us to approach forgiving others in light of God's grace towards sinners like us. Uh, Firstly, he reminds us of the depth of our wrongdoing before God the crushing debt that we owed, that we could not repay, that whatever wrong was done to us, to remember it actually pales in comparison to the wrong we have done to God. But also that as great as our debt before God was, he has forgiven us. Like we heard last week, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our guilt. He's graciously committed not to hold our sin against us, And he calls us to live in light of the generosity he has shown. That won't necessarily make forgiving others easy, but it gives us a solid foundation to start acting from and to keep turning to when we struggle to forgive others and keep living out the commitment that we've made to forgive them. It's all too easy uh, for us to keep a tally of what someone owes us. 
think particularly over the course of lockdown, it's easy as our personal uh, resources have been stretched thin to be keeping a tally against other people around us, particularly in our households, of things I'm owed, of extra things that I've done, of where I've picked up the slack. But actually that's completely counter to the way that Jesus calls us as his followers to live out our relationships. We're to be relating to each other with humility and love. And that means not keeping a tally of wrongs, but living by grace, graciously forgiving each other. Well, forgiveness is a big topic. And like I said at the start, we barely had time to scratch the surface. But if you do want to keep unpacking forgiveness, uh, a book that is really worth dwelling into uh, is this book, Unpacking Forgiveness uh, by uh, Chris Brawns. Uh, It's a really helpful book to uh, think through carefully about the nature of forgiveness in the Bible, uh, some of the challenges that come up as you work through forgiveness uh, or seeking forgiveness, uh, and is well worth uh, a read. Um, Forgiving people is something we're all going to be doing uh, constantly, uh, and it's a great uh, skill to think through more carefully uh, and to unpack and to work out. Uh, It's a good book to read uh, and to challenge yourself with. But today, as we've considered Jesus' words, we've seen the great debt that has been forgiven for us. We've heard of the imperative to live lives that do not place limits on the forgiveness that we are to offer. And we've seen what Jesus means by forgiveness is often different, is different to what our culture often thinks of as forgiveness. Forgiveness, as Jesus asks, uh, tells us to do, it's not primarily about emotion, and it definitely does not mean staying in an abusive situation. But in the Bible, forgiveness is a commitment to graciously pardon someone who has wronged you. And it's about seeking to live out the relationship with that person shaped by the same grace that God has shown us. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible grace that you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you that you have wiped our debt clean. Help us to forgive others. Help us when we struggle, when we find it hard, to turn back to you, to remember the debt that we owed you and how graciously you have forgiven us, that we might continue to seek to live out the forgiveness we've committed to, to not holding wrongs against them, uh, against the other, uh, even when it's hard. Amen.